Hello, I'm Tom McFarland. I'm here with Philip Sipe. Uh, you're listening to uh, Molding Masculinity. I'm, I'm going to actually do the, the thing you should do, I guess, with podcasts and kind of introduce the podcast each episode because we have a lot of new <laughs> listeners coming in now. Um, I, I say that like as if we're getting popular. It's just that we had a hiatus and now we've came back, so we're picking up some new people. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Molding Masculinity, we kind of talk about... Um, issues that pertain to folks who um identify as masculine or have a, a masculine identity um we talk about a lot of toxic masculinity but we also talk about a lot of positive masculinity things that are positive to hold on to and nourish and grow and all of that we talk about a lot of parenting in this episode it's going to be a lot of parenting and a lot of toxic masculinity um so uh what are we talking about today, Philip? Um, we are talking about um, sort of police, uh, police culture, and how that's wrapped up in a lot of like masculine ideas and um, you know, cult both culturally and like individually in some people, and and you know how different aspects of of those things all interact. <laughs> A hundred percent. And I, so I have, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I came at this kind of saying, Hey, I have a theory. And I found that I am not the first person to, by any means have this theory as, which is often the case. Um, there's an author wrote a book called raised, right fatherhood and modern American conservatism. Uh, Jeffrey R. Dudas. Uh, I can't pronounce anything ever. But he gets into talking about how uh, this is kind of a running through line of conservatism in America is the concept of the strict father. And uh, he dives into this by exploring the background of William F. Buckley Jr., Ronald Reagan, and Clarence Thomas, which are three very different uh, but conservative people in that whole right-wing sphere and all of them kind of share this view of like their fathers were abusive and shitty and they now have this perspective that that's kind of the way that parenting should be i'm very much watering that down but we're going to get into really what this perspective is in this episode because i my kind of theory and argument is that this running through line like this core idea of parenting and the the disciplinarian model of fatherhood is the core beginning principle of conservative politic and therefore also policing in america because policing in america is conservative politic the two are one and the same and uh and that by by nature of being such a big part of our culture bleeds over even into non-conservative politic and other elements of uh, society where, you know, like when we try to abolish police and we see often this kind of thing where we just end up reinventing police in some different ways in structures inside some of our organizations. And one of the reasons we're doing that is because we're holding on to some of those root ends. Like you've, one of my favorite metaphors that you've made or metaphor simile whatever that you've made here on the show simile is a type of metaphor just for <laughs> you know for the for the pedantic among us who want to uh, <laughs> including myself that want to clarify that like 
still needs a specific kind of metaphor. I am just the absolute opposite of a pedantic, so I'm the worst person to have on a podcast because I just say dumb shit. But uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I know you you made this metaphor that I really enjoy. That is that um, ideas are a tree in your mind and when you remove it there's still going to be all those roots left and you're gonna have you're gonna have to tease those roots out of all your other thought processes um it's a big long process that can be life encompassing i'm i'm kind of watering down what you said because that's the nature of repeating what other people have said but you're good (laughs) (laughs) um so like one of the i i think where i want to start with this is because i think we maybe both have some personal experience in this matter. And one of the things that I find the most potentially, I I would say I find the most frustrating about this specific topic while researching it, uh, and this topic being the concept of the strict father and disciplinarian uh, fatherhood styles, is that a lot of online kind of parenting advice spheres pretend that this doesn't exist anymore or like well that's an outdated thing that our grandparents believed in but isn't a real thing anymore and i think we are very aware that that's not the case um partly because of just growing up around uh um protestant uh conservative rural families um and there's just this, it's just this like a thing of the kind of people who are really going to buy into this kind of a thing, they're not going to be the people who are going online into these parenting spheres. That's not where they're getting their parenting advice. Um, they're getting their parenting advice usually from right-wing church leaders. Um, and yeah, so I, you always like to begin all of these episodes with let's acknowledge whether or not it's a thing. And I think that's where I kind of want to begin this episode is like, acknowledging for myself at least oh boy was this a thing like i grew up my dad was not a huge believer of this but he did have you know has some elements of the the, that i mean like i heard a lot of times growing up of we'll just wait till your father gets home which is kind of like the core element of the the father is the um disciplinarian style of parenting um but is also i i saw so much of it in conversations that older folks and people my own age have had the whole time I've been walking this earth. Um, And that really at the core principle is just all of the problems in America are the result of fathers not disciplining their kids enough. Yeah. I mean, and I think like people, um, like I know certainly like I have uh, mixed feelings immediately upon getting into this because there's a lot of that that you know very much resonates with me in the sense of like yeah like I recognize some of those patterns like the wait till your father gets home the you know dad is a disciplinarian uh uses like a threat uh, often a physical one like I see you know a lot of that I did see growing up at the same time, I also want to be like fair and acknowledge that like, um, while that was true in my case, there are significantly more toxic versions of that than even what I did. And I, I think like the 
experience that I had, you know, certainly, the, you know, there's different feelings to have about it, I'll say, but like, it's uh, certainly a vast improvement over even just like what my dad experienced with my grandfather. So like, uh, I guess all I'm really trying to say ultimately is like, you know, just keeping in mind, like, as we talk about these and compare experiences and as anyone listening, you know, maybe thinks about their experience, uh, interacting with this sort of larger cultural thing that like, you know, these exist on a spectrum. There's, you know, um, there's way too, if father gets home and dad comes home and he, you know, decides to take away some privileges or something. Uh, and then there's way to your father gets home and dad, you know, uh, grabs a shovel, you know, or, you know, a paddle or something, you know, some kind of more significant violent threat. Uh, like there's all kinds of different, and then there's like active, like, like serious abuse and, um, yeah. and everything. So like, you know, this, this scales, it to different extremes is is what i'm tra- uh basically trying to capture yeah it, it does it does and what we're talking about isn't just like straight up child abuse though that does make up a percentage of it um and i and i think it's also important to note that while this scales and again it scales for our case in this direction of trying to improve from you know which my dad was uh, my dad experienced a lot of abuse from his father and did not want to pass that along to me. And that changed a lot of his parenting styles. And you know, there are things that my dad did that I don't want to pass it along to my kid, um, but it's vastly, massively improved from his, uh, his uh, experience from his father. And I'm sure my son is going to have some things that he's going to be like, man, I'm not going to do what dad did. Yeah. That's, you know, that, that's one type of that stretch. But I think it's very important to recognize that there's an entire social, uh, cultural movement in our country to go the absolute opposite direction (laughs) that is saying, uh, I mean, the entire, the premise, the core premise behind Make America Great Again is, no, we need to go back to parenting the way that my grandfather did. Um, And we need to go back to doing these things we need to go back to these discipline like to we need to properly discipline kids again and again and again i'm not even just talking about like physical discipline and spanking and all of that just the core concept of that you need to um the entire strict father model um which i'm gonna bring up so that i can actually more properly talk from it's this kind of a larger umbrella style of parenting of uh you know the idea of using reward and reward and punishment strongly in this kind of an operant conditioning way Uh, looking at corporal punishment as we've talked about as you know this kind of favored way of like you need to punish someone so that because that is the guiding principle everything you know in life is what you learn to do by being punished if you did something else right um the the uh instillment of work values and that you need to have a bad rough life otherwise you're not going to grow up to be a good person because you know that that's a necessary thing that kids have to have just a bad time uh that when kids are playing and stuff that that's uh you know pushes them into being weaker or uh less ready for the world uh it's kind of this 
you know, just a general dichotomous, not dichotomous isn't the word I'm looking for, but this diametrically opposed model to the nurturant parent model. Uh, and and it's, you often see it really reflected uh, from conservatives as this, you know, all these liberals want to like nurture and, uh, you know, Collywaddle their kids into making them think everything is great and wonderful and perfect and everything they do is good and they're going to get all these participation trophies and you know and it's making weak kids who aren't going to be able to compete in the uh, in the marketplace of ideas um, or, or the marketplace of money and you know the actual marketplace as well and exactly and, and it's so and I I really think that being a backbone of parenting then feeds up into all of this other conservatism and therefore feeds into the police state. Um, like all of the, you know, we, we all kind of recognize this thing of all the bullies we knew in high school all became cops. I hmm. don't think we always dive entirely into the reason of that. And we have, um, oh man, I miss, I lost this study. I did have this study on a, another computer I was actually working on earlier today. Wait, I have it. It's, Never mind, I lied. I don't have that screenshot. But there was a study I was reading through earlier today that it was discussing how the um, these types of strict parenting models re replicate in the real world, usually into kids who are, um, well, they're more prone to having issue various issues in school, specifically issues that, you know, uh, correlate with bullying and uh, you know they, they basically the thing we again all generally kind of know that most of the bullies we had in school were being bullied at yeah. home and we're doing this thing that humans always do that when you oppress humans and treat them like shit they tend to look for somebody else that they can then do the same thing to so that they don't feel like they're on the bottom of the stack yeah, I mean, well, it's like uh, I think uh, I'm, I may have said this before, as it's a thing that I mention occasionally in conversation. But like a friend of mine who is, uh, you know, a developmental psychologist, um, was having a conversation. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was with me or if I was just in the room, or uh, I can't remember the exact, you know, context. But suffice to say, the topic of like you know kids, um, you know, who are um uh you know have some sort of like malformed model of the world particularly like in abuse cases was the topic of conversation and uh either i or someone made some kind of comment of like yeah and like the problem is that like you know kids they're really young you know they can't like reason themselves back into like a good model or whatever and he's like and he's and he stopped me said no 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 you misunderstand the problem isn't that they are insufficiently rational uh, or that they don't have the rational capacity. The problem is, is that they are extremely rational, but they are in an environment that responds very differently to, to stimuluses that you and I are used to. Like you're used to when someone says, I love you, it's a, it's a phrase that comes out of someone when they're about to express some kind of affection or you know give you some praise or you know some kind of positive thing if every time someone said i love you they then hit you you would very be very rational in deciding that hearing i love you is the time that you should flinch and get you know raise your guard 
he said the problem is that they're very rational and that they have been rationally put into an abusive environment and i was just like oh snap that's that's so true and so obvious now and like there's that element so like i say all that to say with a lot of these you know kids it's sometimes just it's a it's i think people hear that kind of explanation and think of it as oh you know they uh they can't you know take revenge on their dads so they're gonna go take revenge on someone else like i don't think it like i think it's not quite like malice malice i think people hear it and they they read some malice into it or some sort of like um desire to inflict violence into these these kids or whatever um that kind of sometimes passes as almost uh inherent in them when I think what it is, is it's a fairly rational response to an abusive environment, which is that like, if you, if your model of the world essentially includes only two options for someone, either to be the abuser or to be the abused, and you're rationally considering which one of those options you wanna be, if that's true, it's rational to say like, I'd rather be the abuser, because you would, everyone would. It's miserable to be the abused person, and at least the abuser doesn't have to worry about being abused. Uh, so like, I think a lot of times these kids are just responding to the only model of the world that they've ever been presented with. It's a horribly toxic one. Um, but, you know, they're taking a toxic model that they've learned at home and applying it to a world which is not like that. And so like that world that keeps interpreting their behaviors like malicious and bad, you know, it is bad in the sense like it has negative outcomes. But like a lot of times it gets ascribed into like you're a bully as opposed to like, oh, you've learned that bullying is an acceptable behavior and is the behavior that you need to engage in for survival or to get by. Um, and so I just wanted to add that clarification into it because I think it's an important distinction, especially when we're talking about kids behavior. So I don't want people to get the impression that like some kids are like born bullies or whatever or, you know, uh, you know, once once a kid has learned to be a bully from their dad or whatever, like now they are a bully and they engage in some kind of malicious bullying, uh, you know, scheme or something. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I, um, I, that that is a core element of part of the problem that is encapsulated in this, right? So like one of the things we're talking about here is how this exists in right-wing frames of thought. But I would generally assume that most of our listeners don't swim in right-wing lanes of thought. Otherwise, you wouldn't have made it here on this episode of the podcast. And so then the question becomes, what? how is this relevant to you? And I think this is how it's relevant to us is that we fall for some of this too. We, or we not fall for it. We it, this is incorporated in our own processing a lot of times too. Um, and not in this sort of, uh, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, that we're running out here choosing it or pursuing it, but these are worked in work into the framework of American society in such a way as like you just described there is this having a sort of difficult time describing and understanding that the our the individual actions that specifically the actions of children are not a good or bad intentional active thoughtful action that it's 
the results of systems and frameworks and you know ways that people work and uh you know lacks of lack of nurturing and all all of this stuff that we're trying to describe is something that almost all of us default to not quite seeing it in that way and i think a lot of that is a social uh the way that conservative thought is kind of uh dissolved throughout the social fabric into all of us um and is one of the reasons why we kind of de facto want to lean towards supporting police and a lot of uh spaces in america despite america being an incredibly obvious police state where the police are an incredibly oppressive force um this is something that like has recently both elements of this have recently been very uh vivid in my life uh, where I'm working, uh, there's a lot of support for the police. That is something new for me to experience, and I don't like it. Um, it's And it's also weird for me to experience because it's not like outwardly, expressively, loudly conservative people. It's not like I don't, I'm not surrounded by MAGA hats, but it's just people who think, yeah, no, police are fine. I can't imagine why anybody would have a problem with police. And then the other element of this is as I'm entering parenting circles, and then I'm running into these kinds of thread of ide threads of idea ideology that exist in a lot of parenting advice, specifically father uh, father directed parenting advice. Like I just had a parenting uh, class seminar yesterday, and uh, there was a number of things that they discussed in that seminar that I'm like, oh, I'm not, that's not cool. I'm not really with that even though it was a generally like a pretty progressive class, it dove into things that were like, you know, saying that women are naturally more nurturing than men are, and that men are naturally more disciplinarian than women are, and we are better disciplinarians. So that's a role that we need to take on in the home while w women provide the nurturing, which I mean, fundamentally just the, the framework of it being men and women in the home and not any other yeah, no, there there was no gender uh, or knowledge thing that was existent in any of this. It was very problematic in its uh, phrasing and framework. But all of that worked together to where it's just like, wow, this really is kind of endemic throughout all lines of thought and advice that is given to most parents. I mean, like, you know, it's been a general kind of annoyance and frustration I've had as I'm entering parenting is I'm like, I want parenting advice from a, with, with a, uh, radical or, re uh, leftist lens on it. Um, you know, with just a fundamental knowledge and acceptance of gender, sexual, gender theory, sexuality, um, anti-authoritarianism all of those kind of basic lenses over it uh to process and that just doesn't exist like it's yeah, all the either club and winging it because uh <laughs> it's uh, all yeah. i got no fucking clue <laughs> it's, it's all either blatantly right wing like you know straight up this is how we build a christian ethno state uh through the power <laughs> of fatherhood or it's apolitical but just all these roots of that tree of fascism just kind of warped through it. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so much like 
so first off, like the, um, I always find it funny when we talk about like um, really traditional gender role type stuff in that um, uh, the way that people talk about it is so funny in that um, it's kind of like, um, uh, so my, my go-to example for this is um, the phrase boys will be boys. Now, a bunch of people who say gender and sex are the same thing. There's no difference and there's only two genders and all that stuff. And, and I don't even know what you mean when you say that like gender and sex are different, okay? Like that sounds like a bunch of liberal made up bullshit, right? Like those people say the phrase boys will be boys. What does that mean? It, everyone knows what it means. Like it's not an ambiguous phrase, every single person who comes to understand that phrase, and it's a very, very common one, understands exactly what it means, which is that boys, aka the category of uh, male people, will be boys, aka the category of people who behave like the stereotype of masculinity. That's sex and gender. <laughs> like, they understand it. They just don't even... And they understand it somewhere in their head that there's a distinction between the concepts because they use that phrase unironically and know what it means, but they can't translate it up to their full consciousness in, in that way. And I think there's a similar thing going on here with the parenting advice stuff. It's like, um, oh, as men, we are naturally more disciplinarian and so we need to be like that well if you're naturally more disciplinarian why do you need to be like that won't you just be like that why do you need to encourage yourself and each other to be disciplinarians oh okay there's somewhere yeah. in their brain that understands it's not a natural feature and now by saying it's a natural feature we're actually justifying and giving ourselves permission to be disciplinarians because we feel like that's something we have to do but that it's it's buried in the language in such a way as to make it sort of hidden without careful thought from the people saying it. So like you have this like weird situation where people are just like saying things that like have blatant contradictions built into them. And yet um, uh, in a way that also everyone knows what it means subconsciously, which is uh, incredible uh, power. Uh, in a sense, because it, it very invisibly is just like, if you walked into a room and, and looked at a bunch of dads and said like, okay, now we're all going to need to be super violent because we're men and uh, violence is great. Like, uh, and you like, or, you know, uh, uh, let's take like, something a little bit, even that's uh, not quite so obvious, I guess. Uh, like, uh, okay, we, you know, as men, we are all, um, very concerned with the size of our penis so we're gonna go and we're gonna whip it out and measure and see who's is the biggest and who's the best you'd be like no that's weird and gross get out like but you can communicate some of these things without having to say them explicitly and get people to absorb them subconsciously to the point that like certain there are idea entire ideas and concepts that get communicated down through the generations without anyone ever having to say that it's that it is a rule or or a stereotype or anything it can just people just absorb it it 100% yeah and i mean like so and now getting into the connection between this and policing um 
this, like th that kind of uh, thing that we all get used to and just exists. Uh, one of the things I was really grateful for from my dad was that I never, even though there was that element of like, oh, wait till your dad gets home, he'll discipline you. It was never because he was a disciplinarian, actually. Um, and he didn't, I think the best way I can explain this is in the inverse. There was a lot of friends and family members and like other older men in the family, other father type figures, but not my father, uh, who every moment spent with them felt like them trying to find something you were doing wrong. Like it mm. very much felt like having a conversation with a cop. Like, of course I didn't understand that really as a kid, but as an adult, I very much understand the feeling. Like every time you talk to a cop, you feel like they're trying to find something you did wrong. And that was all of these other father figures. And my dad never did that. He was never looking for something I was doing wrong. Um, it was never him looking for an opportunity to engage in discipline to make me into a better formed person. Uh, there was never that disciplinarian first kind of uh, motif to it. And that's where this gets into the kind of things that I think develops into the underpinnings of the police state. Uh, and it's this... I mean, like in the small community that I was in, which was a very conservative community, there was this generalized belief that kind of all of the men, whenever we hit 18, should either, you know, we, we should look at joining the military, which is a police state, because um, the, the, that intention in per, from the perspective of, of a post-2001 uh, kid, you know, joining the military meant you were going to go to Iraq or Afghanistan and police a bunch of people who might harm us. Uh, if, if you didn't do that, you were expected to become a deputy, either a sheriff's deputy, which a bajillion people always became, became sheriff's deputies, um, or a city cop, which now a bunch of the bullies from my high school are all city cops. Uh, and so many people I knew became sheriff's deputies. It was kind of this like standard, like that, that was the thing you did. And if you didn't do that, well, it was just like a thing that was like discussed about in masculinity circles of like, you know, being friendly with the police and willing to be deputized in case of something going wrong. It was this big idea of home defense and community defense, but not in uh, the same kind of way, of course, as we often talk about community defense. And it led me into being the kind of person that made, like, my first podcast was Handy with Handguns. Like, that's where I feel like some of my first knowledge base is, is in some of this kind of security discussion, that kind of stuff. Um, and there's a lot of men from the same circles I grew up in that that's, like, the only space that they feel knowledgeable in is security and defense and uh, protecting their home from outsiders protecting their kids from themselves by always looking for any mistakes that their kids might make their biggest fear is their kids becoming criminals um you know they're they're you know super worried about threats to america and to our national uh, existence like it's those types of concerns it's all about security everything is dale gribbled into this big concern of security and that, I think, is the underpinning of our police state, is ingraining that into masculinity, even on the left, because even on the left, you run into this 
you've i'm sure you've seen it and experienced it. a lot of people want to like start organizing with community defense groups or like you know their first and foremost thought is security defense guns and revolution uh and not you know feeding kids and breakfast programs or community gardens or you know cook for a crowd or anything like that any of these like non defense and security related realms yeah i i definitely and uh you know that's not to say that there's no value in those things of course because like that's that's always the tension here is that like um the hardest things to the hardest routes to uh, of of toxic ideas going back to the tree metaphor to pull out of your head are the ones that are attached to something real uh for whom like the root is very deeply entangled with the root of another idea that you can't remove and in fact would be very bad for you to remove and that is you know how some of these things stick around for an incredibly long time and, and at, at the core of that is a, a a real thing which is that like you know we, we have this discussion around um police a lot with the uh you know, people who want to, you know, say like abolish the police and then people will say, uh, oh, well, um, you know, I guess then everyone just gets to steal from whoever. And you're like, well, no, like crime is a problem that we have to solve, just not with police. And people are like, what are you talking about? You know, like it's it's incoherent um, because they've, you know, they haven't imagined a different kind of solution, but the at the core of that is that like okay people commit crimes and that's probably going to still happen no matter we we we're going to be uh you know we're certainly not in like a truly post scarcity uh type of scenario not in the uh not in the sort of star trek replicators for everyone sort of way you know but um you know so so there is a concern that like fundamentally um for one reason or another, people do things to each other that we would like them not to do. And we have to, as a group of people, decide how we're going to handle that. Um, and so that's what makes some of these things so sticky is like the same thing with like children, right? Children misbehave and they must learn that that behavior is not acceptable. If that's not taught to them in some way, then you're going to get a bunch of people who are, you know, and have a bunch of antisocial disorders, right? Like, so, the, so, you know, when we address, like, say, like, the whole, like, idea of a disciplinarian, a lot of times people fall back to this thing of, like, well, kids have got to learn not to, not to hit each other or not to uh, steal or not to, you know, to, to follow this rule or that rule. And, um, the implication there being like that this strategy is the only way that it can be done. And it's very, very difficult to, when you've only ever seen one model, one strategy of how to handle it, to, to come up wholesale with an entirely different strategy that not only, um, you know, isn't the thing that you already know and are comfortable with and were raised on, 
but also is effective and works and is consistent and stable, right? The, the, the hardest thing, like, like for me as a dad, for example, is like wanting to avoid those things. But in some cases, like I find myself falling back into it as a pattern of behavior, if only because even when I can imagine a better way of doing things, there's this sense of like, okay, but like, and I'll try them, you know, but if they don't work in a fairly short period of time, there's that whole, you know, background uh, anxiety of like, well, I don't want to raise a psychopath. I better like do something that gets this kid to, to stop doing this very bad behavior or else that's what's going to happen. And I'm going to be blamed for, you know, having not taught my kids to follow these important rules or whatever. And there's like, um, uh, just like a whole set of things in, in there. And it's, and so like that, that to me is a really core thing that makes that particularly difficult to, um, unseat because, there's just like not alternative models that we can point to and go like, yeah, we've been doing this for a thousand years and it works. I agree. And let's dive more into this right after a word from this sponsor. We're about out of time. Yeah. Have you tried the concept of getting things without paying for them? If you see someone who has, no, you didn't. <laughs> That's my ad. I'm sticking to it. Um, so yeah, no, no, no. Uh, rewinding. I, uh, uh, I agree with you. And I, th I think you actually encapsulated and circled as something that I'm really bad at uh, verbalizing. And that was, yeah, like how all of this is hard for us to process, get to, and kind of climb through and get into. Um, and yeah. Yeah. The I mean, most insidious lies, lies are the ones that are wrapped in truths, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like I, I, I 100% agree with like how I definitely, you know, like I think that security and um, community defense and these concepts are very important, even in leftist spaces. Um, but I also think we often take that in leftist spaces and just turn it into a new brand of policing. Uh, um, when we actually engage in those activities. Um, and we also just engage in it kind of blindly, which is also a thing that the right does, you know, right? Where it just becomes pageant pageantry instead of actually organizing and trying to do something for your community, um, which is, again, a fundamental flaw of the United States is that we have engaged in pageantry instead of doing things for our community. We give cops tanks and armored vehicles instead of giving the community homeless shelters like it's we, we it's and it's shocking to me because like this became really obvious to me like from a young age after 9-11 with like all the security theater and airports it's like not a single <laughs> Not a single thing was, you know, serious disaster was prevented by people taking their shoes off. It's all reactionary to like some ways that someone snuck in once. And then famously in the most of these cases was then stopped in some other way anyway. Yeah. I mean, like it is so insidious 
that it's still going on. Like the, I, I want to call him Al Zaha, the guy who uh, we just drone striked in Afghanistan, who was supposedly the mastermind of 9-11, that, you know, and like uh, uh, Osama bin Laden was just the front man, whatever the fuck the CIA story is on that. But we buy into that, like so much of like, that like 9-11 was planned by this huge commission of incredibly intelligent supervillains and piles of money and international schemes and organizations. And it was, it, it was holding up a plane with a box knife and flying it into a building. It, it wasn't that deep. Like the impact, and when the thing is, when you say that, then people are like, "Whoa, you're saying it wasn't impactful?" Like, no, it was impactful. It was horrifying. It was a atrocious act and moment. That doesn't make it a Bond movie. It doesn't make it this thing that was organized by an entire like by multiple countries that we needed to then therefore go to war with for the next 20 years so that we can find everybody who was responsible there weren't that many people responsible most of the people responsible went down in the plane uh or planes um a few who didn't who had maybe some hand in organizing it definitely eventually died but the number of civilians who went with them like it, it i don't know it's I'm sorry yeah, i'm getting a little want, sidetracked people want here to but... have people want to have a big explanation for a big event exactly exactly right? you want to imagine that oh something like this could only happen by some incredibly calculated planned you know it's like the heist movie all right first you're going to create the diversion and then you're going to cause this thing to happen and then you're going to cause a surge to take out the cameras and then like you know, 16 people all acting in perfect coordination with a, with a precisely planned out plan, execute it, and then do this big disaster. And the most horrifying thing to come to terms with is that, no, it's just like a couple of guys who kind of went in and were like, let's see if we can get away with this. And they did. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like, it, and yeah, and that is scary and it is hard to secure against. That's part of the un comfortable things about securities you're not going to be able to secure against everything and i and i run into this when like you know in different uh spaces of people who want to do security for events and security for protests and things like that and then they start getting real deep into the weeds about like well how do we make sure there's not anybody on a rooftop and like well you don't like even the police can't do that yeah like <laughs> this is just they have this like is... <laughs> millions and millions of dollars of funding <laughs> Yeah, like the primary way we stopped presidents from getting shot is by making sure they weren't standing in front of tall buildings. Like that—that's it. Like it's not the we we threw a lot of money in, into that, but you know, I mean, I, to be clear here, I'm just putting an example of an intense security situation. Um, but you know, yeah, it's that's an unfortunate element of that. And, and sorry, and I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm getting sidetracked there, but it's, that's, it's that element of policing seen as this thing that has to be grand because criminalism is grand or because the threats are grand. And, and the same thing you see happen all the way dialed down into parenting into this type of, well, I have to be a strict parent because if I make one tiny mistake, my kid is going to become a drug addict 
struggling somewhere with no job and in prison and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all of the things that uh, these type folks want to worry about. And the fundamental reality is that it's not the one little mistake you make. It's not not disciplining them enough. It's that that's we, I, I, and this is one of these things that is really frustrating to explain to people who don't have personal experience in those types of spaces. Like most of the people I grew up with and was friends with were people who had incredibly authoritarian fathers and did a lot of drugs <laughs> um, <laughs> and very much disappointed their parents. Oh, and um, it's often the people that, uh, you know, like what's the cliche, uh, the tighter you close, you know, the tighter you wrap your fist around them, the more they slip through your fingers sort yes. of And there's metaphor. data to support that. Yeah. There's yeah. data that supports that. Like I've seen that in my own family, quite frankly, the, the parent uh, in my like ultra religious, ultra conservative, side of my family like um it's all the ones that were like like i i went to the like as far as my family was concerned uh the liberal version of my church you know that was like oh you know they don't they don't just immediately tell anyone who's playing instruments in a worship service that they're going to go to hell you know like that was a huge deal <laughs> now there was a whole family schism over the fact that some people went to this this too liberal church and some people went and it was all the ones that were like the most authoritarian, hardcore, anti-gay, anti-anything that wasn't just like, you know, raw patriotism or, you know, like, you know, the, the cliche, you know, the cliche of a fundamentalist conservative Christian, right? It was all of those families that had the kids that, you know, got pregnant in high school and you know, uh, or, you know, got into substance abuse and, and had to go into rehab and stuff like that. Like it was, it was the, <laughs> it was the more liberal ones that had the, the most, you know, traditionally Christian-like behavior. It's, it's almost like as if they were raised by Christians who nourished and loved their children versus That sounds like liberal and... propaganda, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I think that kind of wraps up what I wanted to discuss this week. Uh, any, uh, any, uh, final additions you would like to make? Uh, no, I think there's that, this is like a pretty deep, well, I could imagine doing an entire other episode on this, this as well, just the parallels between police culture and, uh, disciplinary and parenting culture. Um, definitely if you uh, have really good like books or resources on like uh, models of parenting that are not uh, you know um, disciplinarian or you know maybe informed by like a leftist perspective really hit, hit us up in social media and comments <laughs> for the stuff love of god please do because <laughs> uh, I uh, I could use that too I'm I'm like nine years into it and still just kind of making it up as I go along and it's not fun because uh, frankly, inventing an entire style of parenting while having no earthly idea uh, where to start is uh, hard. I am, you know, every time I, I, that's just my response now. Every time somebody is like, well, have you read Marx? I was like, did he write a parenting book? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, then get out. <laughs> 
uh, but yeah, and I mean, and I think in the meantime, love and nourish your children, and uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, don't be a cop is just general good advice, life oh. advice. Don't be a cop. Um, but yeah, um, uh, we haven't really plugged anything since we've returned. I'm going to plug RDC again because just in case people forgot or new people came in, uh, Red Dirt Collective is a really cool community organization. Uh, does a bunch of mutual aid efforts, labor organizing efforts, tenant organizing efforts. Uh, 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 helps uh, a bunch of different organizations and situations and various elements of helping our un unhoused community members um, just cool shit all the way around you can donate uh to them at patreon i want to say backslash uh, red dirt collective i think it's just slash patreon.com slash red dirt collective yeah, yeah. I, I always mess up my backslashes and forward slashes it's all right i'm pretty sure like it was a coin flip as to which one people said in the 90s and so now we're all deeply deeply confused <laughs> But yeah, donate money there, donate time there if you happen to be in the central Oklahoma area. Um, also, if you are anywhere else outside of that area and you maybe don't have finances and funds and things, um, please look for people who are organizing in your area. I've yet to live in an area where there wasn't somebody at least trying to organize. Um, and do that, do that. I mean, like, just... You know what? Some people might say, oh, you're not really doing much if you just grab a couple of friends or your neighbor and, you know, hang out and talk about some leftist shit and some things you might be able to do. Maybe that's not enough. You're not doing enough. That's where it fucking begins. It's enough if it's where it starts. So do that. Um, I, I, I would challenge you when you put down this podcast, pick up your phone and just DM somebody who, you know, has some similar, uh, angry inclinations to you and start talking to them about building a co-op or something. Uh, so yeah. Thank you all for joining us this uh, morning, afternoon, evening, or whatever time of day it is. And thank you. <laughs>